Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite foods is Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> good old Colonel Sanders, huh? He did a good thing when he came up with that. It, it's actually one of my favorite foods, believe it or not. If you gave me a choice sometimes between a steak and Kentucky Fried Chicken, I just may choose Kentucky Fried Chicken. Although you're open to test me on that if you'd like. You know what, though? My respect for Colonel Sanders bumped up when I read a story about him when he was flying on a plane one time and he's traveling. I don't know where he was traveling. The story really didn't say, but he's on the plane and this baby continued to scream and scream and scream. We kind of had that situation traveling to Israel one time, only it wasn't a three-hour or five-hour flight. It was like a 13-hour flight from Los Angeles to Tel Aviv. Anyway, this baby continued to scream And the mother and the flight attendant tried every trick they knew of to calm the baby down, and the baby just wouldn't calm down. So Colonel Sanders gets up, and he says, let me hold the baby, and she hands him the baby, and he rocks her to sleep. And for the rest of the flight, they didn't hear a peep out of the baby. Then when the plane landed, one of the passengers came up to him and said, I just want to thank you and express my appreciation for what you did for all of us. And he looked at the passenger and he said, I didn't do this for all of us. I did it for the baby. You see, and that's what compassion is. Compassion is thinking of the need or the trial or the difficulty or the hurt or the pain that somebody else is in. And it's not about your benefit, right? It's not about our benefit. It's about the need of the individual, We live in a world today where government organizations are everywhere and they're out there trying to fix the homeless situation, everything else, trying to make communities a better place. And if that is the focus, then you're misguided to begin with because compassion is about thinking of the need of the individual, not for your needs. So when we look at ministering to homeless and everything else, we're not saying hey, we're doing this so the community can be a better place to live. We're doing it for an individual who is hurting and who is in pain, whether it's the drug addict or the homeless person or whatever. We are ministering because that person is an individual. That person is an individual. They're not a number. They're not a widget. They are a person made in the image of God. And as Christians, we walk after our own Savior in his footsteps, displaying the compassion that he has displayed. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we're going to begin in Matthew 9, but we're going to travel through the scriptures because I I want you to see some certain things that Jesus says and what Jesus does. And hopefully it's going to inspire you and it's going to bump up your heart a little bit, even understand what compassion is and how we should be exercising that as Christians. The first thing I want to talk about is what the meaning of compassion. What is the meaning of compassion when we even mention that word? 
Webster's Dictionary says it's the feeling of wanting to help someone in need due to sickness, hunger, or some other trouble that they may have. But the word has Latin roots, compassion. It's made up of two words, a prefix, calm, meaning to come alongside of or to be with. And passion, which means suffering. Passion means suffering. That's why when you saw the movie, The Passion of Christ, you get there and it was all about the suffering of Christ. And that is because it's based off the Latin word passion. So when we talk talk about compassion, we're talking about suffering with someone. We're talking about entering into their world pretty much. Now, the Greek word in the New Testament that is used of Jesus, and I found this interesting as I got into some of my word studies and started unpacking a few scriptures, but the New Testament uses a Greek word called splonknizomai. Splonknizomai. Say that with me. Splonknizomai. <laughs> I didn't think you could because I had a hard time pronouncing it. I had to say it over and over again. Splonknizomai is an interesting word, and you only find it, this is what's fascinating to me, you only find it 11 times in the New Testament. And it's always used, it's only used in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's only used of Jesus and his words or a story that he's telling. Now, what's interesting about the word, the form of the word originally meant the inward parts of a man, like the heart or a liver. It could be used of the inward parts of an animal for sacrifice, but the word became a common use for the lower parts of the abdomen, the intestines, and especially the womb. And some theologians thought that because that's what it originally meant, that that was too strong of a word to use on the compassion of God when you're speaking of Christ's compassion. But it really isn't because the gospel writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, use this word to impress on the readers the power and the force of God's compassion of God's compassion. Some of you know that emotions can play havoc with your body inwardly. Some people have ulcers because they worry too much. And some people have developed these health issues inwardly because of the emotions that they're going through. When we speak of fan... <laughs> splank... Zenomai, that word, right. Then you're speaking of the passion that Christ has or God's compassion that he has for the hurting. It is a powerful word. It is a powerful force. And it's only used when Jesus uses it or it's used of him responding 11 times in the scriptures. It's different than mercy. Mercy is a kindness or forgiveness towards someone who otherwise should be treated severely or harshly. In other words, sin deserves punishment. But because of God's mercy, we don't face that punishment that we deserve for our sins. And sometimes we can become pretty merciless as Christians. We've experienced God's mercy in our own life, but when we see somebody else suffering because of their sin, we want to say, oh, they deserve it. Well, what did we deserve? What did we deserve? We deserve just as bad. Sympathy is to feel sorrow for someone else's trouble, misfortune, or grief. The high priest in the Old Testament represented the people before God. When you read of their duty before uh, in the tabernacle and in the temple, the high priest always represented the people. 
our high priest became flesh and blood. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He was made like us so he could represent us. An angel couldn't represent us. An animal couldn't take away the sins. The blood of goats and bulls couldn't take that away. Jesus became man so that he can faithfully represent us as our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted As we are yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus came to suffer with us. Jesus doesn't want you to experience suffering alone when we say that we have a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses and our sufferings. Jesus in every way lived this earth and died a death that you probably will never die, and that's being nailed to the cross. And I know you'll never suffer the wrath of God like Jesus did if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. So Jesus came. He lived in flesh and blood. He understands. He had all of these feelings, empathy. Empathy is understanding, sensitivity, and an awareness of another's feelings, thoughts, or experience. So all these emotions that you and I have, Jesus had as well, but it is the compassion of Christ that drives everything. It is the compassion of God in heaven that sent, because compassion isn't just feeling something or feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion is actually stepping in and doing something about it. Right? You could say, I feel sorry for that person, or I feel sorry for that family. feel tragedy and all this. But man, did you ever send them a card? Did you ever call them to pray for them? Did you ever do that? It's one thing to feel sorry for somebody, but compassion says we are going to move on the situation. That's why you have some ministries like Compassion Ministry. Compassion Ministry is a ministry that believes in getting down and dirty with the people and doing something about the problems of those that they're ministering to. So when we talk about the meaning of compassion, you need to understand it's more than a feeling. I'm going to show you that in just a moment, particularly when it's being used of Jesus and his work here on earth. All right, so that's the meaning. Now I want you to see God's movement of compassion. God's movement of compassion goes something like this, that you and I were stuck in our sin, and you and I were receiving the tragedy of sin, the devastation, the disease, the destruction that came with sin from the very beginning. And God looks down on his creation, humanity, and he has compassion, he does something about it. The Father says to the Son, you're going to go to the cross. You're going to become human, flesh and blood, And you are going to go to the cross and you are going to pay the debt of sin. So humanity can be restored to me. The son willingly left his glory, the worship of angels, everything in glory to come down 
and to get down and dirty in this world, even though he lived a sinless life, he bore our sins. That is the compassion of God. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, have this mind among yourselves, all right? Paul's calling the church in Philippi, who was really a little bit fractured. People were into their own stuff. They were concerned about themselves, but not others. And Paul is writing before this, leading up to verse 5, he's saying, look at the interests of others more so than yourself. And so then he says, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, develop this mindset, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now think about that when you read about God's glory in the Bible, when you read about the throne room of heaven in chapter 4 and everything that was going there. Even though he's equal with God, the Father, he steps out and it goes on to say he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, the theologians have a word for that. It's called kenosis, and I first studied that when I was in seminary, and basically it's the emptying of yourself, your position, your power, your authority, things like that. You're just giving something up to become something else. When it talks about the kenosis of Christ, it's talking about him leaving every thing he had in heaven to come down here and become a bond servant for you and I. That's where the compassion of God is so powerful. When you think about what we were stuck in, that's why when you come to Christ, and how do you not respond to the grace of God when you see what the Bible says about us and about what we were stuck in and what our future and hope was without God's divine intervention? What is the response to that grace? That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, after speaking about being justified by faith and not our own works, he says, do we sin the more? He said, by no means, because our response to something like that, when we see what God did on our behalf, should motivate us and move us to live for God. Now, Jesus came for that reason, to save us from sin. Now, before we get in Matthew 9, I know there's a long intro and everything else before we get in the scriptures, but I think it's important to set the framework first. In Matthew chapter 1, and we could have turned there, but you can read it when you get home, verses 18 to 23 says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. God still does that, by the way. Appeared in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. 
And then verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Jesus, the name Jesus, Yeshua in the Hebrew, means literally that Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. The word is a combination of Yah, which is an abbreviated form of Yahweh, and the verb Yasha, which means to save or to deliver from. That's what Jesus' very name means, and that's why they were called to name him Jesus. Now, Emmanuel is God with us, literally. That links back to Isaiah chapter 7, where the promise of the prophecy that there would be a virgin that would give birth to the Messiah, chapter 7, verse 14, you read Emmanuel in that verse. And what's interesting, if you go to the next chapter, in chapter 8, I forget what verse it is, because I didn't intend on saying this, but in chapter 8, you're going to see, O Emmanuel, used again, and that is used of God. So make no bones about it. When Jesus came, came God in the flesh. That's why we believe in the Trinity, okay? Now, when Jesus was here on earth, Jesus' whole ministry and mission was driven by compassion. You have to understand that. It wasn't just the compassion of God that led to everything, which flows out of his love, but it is also when Jesus was here, the driving force, which flows out of his love, okay? Everything can be tethered to that because God is love. Whatever you speak about, about the attributes of God, you got to know that it's tethered to who he is, where it says in the Bible in 1 John, he is love. So his justice, his righteousness, his grace, his mercy, everything flows from that. Now, in chapter 9, we are going to see this word for the first time. Now, look at me with chapter 9 that comes up. And by the way, let me say this too. For you that are students of the Bible, there's something called the law of first occurrences in the Bible. So whenever a word comes up for the first time, it's highly significant. So if you do concordance studies or whatever, you would find that, man, when words first appear, there's some significance to those words. And when they're only used in certain contexts, there's even more of a significance. I remember telling somebody one time that love doesn't even show up in the Bible until the 22nd chapter of Genesis. They said, that's wrong. You can't. It's got to show up. God is love. And God creates out of love. He redeems out of love. And he looked it up and he said, you're right. It doesn't occur till Abraham takes and is asked to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, whom he loves. That's first time it shows up. And as you know, the Abraham-Isaac story is a shadow of the cross to come where God gives up his only son whom he loves, right? He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So law of first occurrences, we have this Greek word for compassion, all right? First time it shows up. Chapter 9, verse 35 to 36. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, notice that if you read the gospels, you're going to see where it says over and over again that Jesus saw the crowds. 
See, he sees the crowds, then he gets individual with people. So he sees the crowds. It says he had compassion for them, that deep, inward, driving compassion that says, I understand, that says they're stuck. And watch what it says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Now, you know, reading the Gospels, we've mentioned it many times that the religious leaders were entrusted by God to shepherd his people, but they failed to do so. And Ezekiel, in the day of Ezekiel, this was going on. The elders were supposed to shepherd the people, and God made a promise, I am going to shepherd them myself in Ezekiel. He says that, I'm going to shepherd them myself. Then in another verse in that passage, he says that, I'm going to send a shepherd. In other words, he's coming himself to shepherd the people. And he's why? He looked at the crowds. And have you ever done that before? I tend to do that more and more as I get older. I see the news and before where I didn't pay attention to people, I now see crowds. Like whenever there's a news story in New York City and you see these multitudes of people on the streets and everything else, and you start to wonder You know, where are they going? What are they doing? What is their life like? Do they know Christ? Or are they into Buddhists? Are they into the Muslim faith? What what is their backstory? What is their background? And see, really, when we look at the crowds, we should have a compassion on the crowds of people like Jesus did. Why? Because they're not like you. You may be harassed by Satan, but you have a shepherd now that is leading you. See, we were that sheep. When he looked at the crowds in that day, and he says, man, they have no shepherd. That was us. That was me. I still remember the days I didn't have Jesus as a shepherd. And I had no direction in this life. Have you ever thought of a sheep in the wilderness? When a sheep is in the wilderness, let them try and fend for themselves, and they can't. Sheep are dumb. Now that you laughed, I'll go a step further. The Bible says we're sheep. (laughs) But no different than a sheep wandering around in the wilderness looking for water, looking for pasture, looking to survive. That's who we were. And then God fulfills that promise that Jesus would be the good shepherd that would come. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he did for us. Then all of a sudden, now you've got a true shepherd that's leading you through this life. You've got a true shepherd that's leading you through the wilderness of this world. And this world is a wilderness. I don't care what anybody says. It's filled with landmines. It's filled with cliffs. It's filled with all kinds of unsafe things for humanity. And you got people now that are helpless. They're looking for direction. They're not finding it from their leaders, the elected leaders that are supposed to be shepherds somewhat of this country have failed. The government has failed in its primary responsibility. 
The primary, according to Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, is to bear the sword to keep evil in check. And it has failed at that first and foremost responsibility. But what you look at is, man, a people that is lost. Looking, where do they turn? And Jesus is the good shepherd, the Bible says. And God knows how to take care of his his sheep. That's why if you don't know Christ, you need to come to Jesus. I'm telling you, it is a game changer. Everyone here who's come to Jesus would tell you he's the game changer in their life. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.